That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. This episode of Same Old Song is brought to you by Me Undies. Valentine's Day is coming up, and we all know that matching underwear in prayer book approved patterns is what everybody wants this year. Go to MeUndies.com slash lectionary for this year's special pricing. Again, today's episode brought to you by Me Undies. Just kidding. None of that is true. We're glad <laughs> and make you're sure here. you type in the passcode <laughs> year B. <laughs> That's right. At checkout, enter year B. That would be awesome. That would be great. All right. Is that like a new, well, is that something you're trying to work, some sort of angle? No, so. we'll see if Dave Zoll can get us some uh, some some sponsorships. Uh, well, I will say. The, oh, go ahead. You no, know, you, know you. I was just going to say, here we are the last Sunday of Epiphany. And, oh, I was uh, going to say something better. But what were you going to say, Bridget? I was just going to, you know, that is my way of warning our listeners that Valentine's Day is coming. So if there is that special someone. Mm. Consider a gift to Mockingbird in their name or something that will actually make them happy. <laughs> That's right, yeah. uh, you've got I know nine days. Make me happy. So. <laughs> Thanks, and you'll love. keep that to yourself. A gift to Mockingbird, you should. <laughs> <laughs> Just what I wanted. All right. Well, it is. Soup it is. Again, <laughs> but it's for the Lord. So. It is it is that great. I love it when the the church year and the secular year. It's kind of you know St. Valentine's is a quasi religious holiday, I guess. Um, but when Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day line up, it's some great cosmic joke. I think it's so funny. Like everybody, romance and flowers, and you're gonna die. Everybody follow Calvary St. George's on Instagram because Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday is gonna be hilarious. So. You've got some stuff cooking. Oh, oh boy, do we ever! <laughs> Well, all right. Early warning, folks. Remember that you're dust, but you're my dust. (laughs) Will you be my dust? Happy Valentine's. All right. Well, yeah. So we're coming up on the last Sunday after the Epiphany, which will be on Sunday, February 11th. So your readings for this Sunday are from 2 Kings 2, 1 through 11, where Elijah passes the torch, the baton to Elisha, the confusingly very similarly named Elisha. Then we have 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, and Mark 9, 2 through 9, where we have uh, the account of the transfiguration, which always comes, right? You know, it's always the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Transfiguration, the actual feast, is not until August. So don't put Transfiguration Sunday on your bulletin, people. But we will be talking about it. So we begin here uh, with... Uh, a kind of a hint in the collect, by the way, before the passion of your only begotten son, who before the passion of your only begotten son revealed his glory. This is God who revealed his glory on the holy mountain. So people's glory being revealed, obviously that's definitely shown in the Mark passage. We'll get to that at the beginning. But we do have a little kind of hint in this first reading from the Old Testament, since Elijah is in it, and Elijah will show up in the Mark reading. That's sort of... um, 
that's one of the things that this passage in Second Kings is doing for you. Just to uh, listeners uh, who don't have this passage in Second Kings two memorized, what happens is Elijah the prophet is uh, engaged in some succession planning with Elisha, and uh, Elijah is basically uh, getting ready to vacate his office. At the end of the passage, he's taken up famously by chariots of Israel into heaven uh, in a whirlwind in front of Elisha's own eyes. Um, but before that happens, it's Elijah telling Elisha, you know, I'm, I'm going away. And uh, It's a passage that I think is kind of opaque. It's a little bit harder to preach on. Um, there's stuff you can say about saying goodbye. There's stuff you can say about the River Jordan is always being, it's always, the Jordan River is always in a transitional point in the life Today of Israel. Today I'd like to talk to you about saying goodbye. Yes. And saying say, goodbye well. Say goodbye. I'd like to sing a famous song by Boys to Men, the last a cappella group to chart on the Billboard Top 100. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, this, this is... Uh, it's a tough uh, it's text a, to preach. It's a tough text, so um, just don't do it. If, but if you no, had I mean, to... If you had to, um, if it was the only thing there, um, I think the way it kind of fits in here with this idea of the epiphany, and so the last Sunday of epiphany, especially in light of the transfiguration, and everything going on with that is is that, remember like when we read the Old Testament, you, you it's never like interpreted out of, out of a, uh, in a vacuum or in a box. Uh, the Old Testament is always interpreted in light of the older stories in the Old Testament. And so in some ways here, um, you have Elijah functioning as this like mosaic figure. Yeah, because he crosses have, you know, the Jordan. and Yeah, he took know, on the prophets water. of Baal. He uh, is the one who went up against uh, King. <laughs> he went up against, uh, 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 you know, King Ahaz and all of this. Can I just and tell so, the listeners what just happened? We're sure, in a Zoom meeting. Ahead. And go you ahead. made a P, you were counting two, you like the number two, when you made the peace sign sort of with your fingers, and that caused Apple to cause balloons to yeah. come across the Zoom screen, and you chuckled, as did I. Anyways, carry on. Right, so, but you have Elijah function as like this new Moses, goes up against Ahab, who functions as like a pharaoh, sets his people free during the, during the um, bail, and then Elisha, and even their names, so the the Joshua, you know what I mean? All of these things are functioning in many ways as this. I just, we got to turn that option off. It's like just driving the balloons that keep going. I'm so, just but, keep making the balloons go a whole time. Anyway, but uh, seriously, so you have these two figures who represent uh, Moses and Joshua, types and shadows of Moses and Joshua. And so here they are and they go. And Elijah asks Elijah. Uh, Elisha asks Elijah for a double portion of his inheritance, of his mantle. Now, if you remember how many of these prophets cross over the river with him, there's like 50. He's got like 50 followers. And so when he asks for a double portion, what's like basically happening here is that um, like the way they would like separate inheritance in those days, like if I had six sons, um, then each son would get like a sixth of the property. Um, but for me to ask for a double portion would be that my dad would have to separate it by seven. And then I would get the, so this is like no small ask. And so but essentially what's happening is, is Elisha is receiving Elijah's mantle of authority and of ministry to carry on this prophetic work of bringing Israel back to, the tr to repentance and to the true God. 
and he's received a double portion. And how this kind of ties in ultimately to the transfiguration is that you have Moses and you have Elijah, the embodiments of all the prophets. And Jesus now, the greater Elisha, has all authority in heaven and on earth to bring you not just back to Yahweh, but to reconcile you completely to him and that you stand in his presence no longer as a slave, but as a son of the Most High God. Yeah, I think there's some cool stuff in here about the parting of the waters and he, he takes his mantle, basically takes his, his shawl image. off his shoulders, rolls it up and slaps the water and it parts. And it's so um, not fancy. It's it's just, you know, he doesn't say a magic spell. You know, it's it's very much like Yahweh to work through something really simple yeah, um, like and humble. Shawl. Yeah, just I'm going to I'm going to take off my sock. I'm going to slap the river with it and it'll it'll do the thing. Um, and I, I do think um there is something about transition here from one mode to another, from Elijah's ministry to Elisha's ministry, um, the Jordan River being that place where these transitions always happen. You cross over physically, but also there's a spiritual, metaphysical transition happening. Um, obviously, the people of Israel cross the Jordan River. David, King David, goes into exile, has to come back over the Jordan River. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, major significance there. So there's all this stuff there, and I do think... You know, this is a great Sunday maybe to talk about the transition from Epiphany into Lent. Not that you make a big deal because people's lives will sort of be the same, whether it's Epiphany or Lent. I mean, one week is not going to be that different from the other in terms of their daily lived life. But one thing that does happen a lot in life is that there are moments of transition change. And there'll be people in your congregation going from one to another. There's there's something here where, you know, Elijah's leaving and Elisha does not want to let him go. This is a really common thing when people respond to... to um, loss that they can see coming. They try to stop it or be in denial about it. Um, and I think, uh, um, that's just really common. And so you see in the, um, the passage we'll get to in Mark, Peter, um, uh, will want to, um, to make the dwellings, the booths, the little habitations to kind of make the Mount of Transfiguration, the permanent place where Jesus and Moses and Elijah will just be there for a while. Um, holding court or something and um, wanting to keep these things permanent and not move on into the next phase. But Lent is like a, is, is a time of facing reality, facing the truth, facing what's actually happening as opposed to being in denial about it. Uh, death, sin, mortality, the brevity of life, all these things that we do that we wish we didn't do, all the things we don't do that we wish we did. And Lent is a time of like looking at that honestly. And so I think we resist that. We resist change. We resist loss. We resist reality and i think coming uh this second kings is there's something in there about um elisha's resistance and elijah saying no i gotta go and he he leaves he goes and jesus obviously also does not stay on the top of the mountain but goes down into into the valley as it were and ultimately wow, you cross, can preach so. this look at that look at that yeah see there's stuff there it's the word oh, of god you know so second corinthians chapter four verses three through six this is very powerful what would you say about this in light of like the last sunday of epiphany and uh everything happening yeah yeah so epiphany is revealing it begins with the star that's light literally shining in the darkness um the magi would have had to follow that star during the daytime when they wouldn't have been able to see it they can only see it at night so something about the light shining in the darkness um and here uh paul is bringing up those themes quite clearly the light of the gospel um, but some people can't see it um, he quotes let light shine out of darkness this very much an epiphany passage 
um, except it's the light here, not the star in the heavens leading us to Jesus, but he says that this light has now shown in our hearts, and what we get is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is actually part of the preface, the proper preface for communion during the season of Epiphany comes from this very passage. Um, shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what that's saying is, by God's grace and by the working of the Holy Spirit, and only by God's grace does this happen, we see that in the face of a Galilean first century Jewish peasant, that was God. I've been watching, um, and that that's something that you only get, only figure out that that's God because God reveals that to you. I've been watching The Chosen recently. Have you seen that, Jake? I've seen a few it's episodes, yeah. Dramatic re like telling of Jesus' life, and um, but it's like a scripted drama. And it's very touching, um, but what strikes me every time I watch it is that you see Jesus as a person walking around and fixing an axle on a wooden cart that has busted, uh, you know, giving instructions to his disciples about food. He like carries a backpack on their journey as they're going around Galilee from town to town. It's like, oh, Jesus with a backpack. Like it just, he's so humanized um, and it's really wonderful, but kind of jarring and to, you realize how bananas it was in his day and still today, if you really think about it, for people who could see him and touch him and knew him um, and were aware, like the fact that he ate and drank and went to the bathroom and was a human being, that they thought he was God. So seeing that Jesus is God is something that is divinely revealed and crazy, but it is light shining out of the darkness. And so this realization is something that God gives. And I think the way you tie it in is to talk about light in darkness. Um, and you connect it to people's lives, uh, I think, by asking them to think about the places of darkness in their life and where they want the light of Christ to shine and to say it has shown. And this is the continual work of God. And the fact that they're sitting in these pews about to take the sacrament. I mean, there's a lot there about God coming to meet them where they are. So uh, that's, that's some stuff I would talk about. I haven't talked about the veiling and the being blind and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I thought I'd leave those easy things to you if you want to say anything about that. Um, but yeah, is there, uh, that or anything else you want to talk about with Second Corinthians chapter four? Um, I think, uh, no, I mean, I think you've said a lot there. I mean, I think uh, the powerful thing here is that Paul is like justifying like who he is and what he's come to do, his ministry. And he's talking about specifically uh, the gospel being veiled to those who are perishing. And in this case, it's not the gospel's problem at all. That's that's the thing, is that it's um, our problem that this is happening. But what I would really want to hit, what I want to hit on right here, I think it, what you've said is very powerful, but I think that this is a very, there's an important line for preachers in this particular text as we're thinking about our sermons moving forward and going into Lent, especially when, uh, and for Christians to think about as well, like you can share with them, but for we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and, our, and as your slaves for Jesus' sake. Uh, that is really uh, the amazing thing. And I think that so often, so much of like preaching today is about us and what we do. And what Paul is emphasizing is that his gospel, the reason why it's so often veiled is because we are fixated on our navels. We're fixated on ourselves and what we're doing and all of the ways that we're changing the world and all of these things. And me, 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 me. And uh, what Paul is getting at here is, is that the point of preaching and the point of his preaching and the guys that are with him, as opposed to the super apostles that are like, yeah, yeah, G uh, Jesus, but you got to do this. You know what I mean? 
is that we proclaim, we do not proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your slaves. And he is Lord because he has died and risen from the dead and God has vindicated for him, vindicated him. And because of that, uh, because of that resurrection from the dead, which is really when it comes to a sinner's great need is the only thing to be talking about. Um, well, that is where uh, God clearly says, let light shine out of darkness. And, yeah. uh, and that is, and how is it shown? Well, it's shown in the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And this isn't shine Jesus, shine on this age. In this age, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is revealed in the crucified Son. And so, and that's great comfort to people, especially when you're going through, uh, through the, uh, uh, through, through the, through, through a difficult season. Um, I've been reading uh, some devotional stuff because, you know, we all go through difficult seasons in ministry. And uh, this one particular guy, St. John of the Cross, he reminds us that, like, you know, oftentimes when we're near the fire, uh, that isn't the absence of God. And when we're in the midst of a real struggle and dark night of the soul, that isn't the absence of God. Um, but oftentimes it's caused by the way we, where we're focused and, uh, and uh, it is in those dark nights of the soul all the more that we need that gospel unveiled for us that we might see that light shining out in the darkness. And uh, that is why it's so critical. I mean, you know, somebody was telling me the other day, I was having a, a, having a real pickle, and this guy was like, man, just embrace the struggle. <laughs> it's like, screw you and the horse you rode in on. Like, no way. Yeah, that's not what uh, I want to hear. What I need is a word that says, uh, don't worry, there's one who's embraced a cross for you, and now you can Amen. follow him in your own. And, uh, right. and really, that is what we're talking about here. And that is where Jesus is, is most glorious and Jesus is found. And it is in that as we walk step by step in the midst of struggle that the gospel is unveiled uh, to those around. Uh, and uh, those who are perishing might actually see where their hope is found. Yeah. And there's, there's a wonderful quality here in what Paul says of not being overly attached to his ministry in a yep. way that it's you know, his identity is based in it. Talking to you preachers and myself here, and Jacob but, Smith, uh, yeah. and Jacob Smith, uh, are, he said, you know, he's preaching to people and for some, the message is veiled. They cannot receive it. He's got also these super apostles, as you mentioned, his enemies, kind of his competitors in the marketplace that are outdoing him in some respects. Uh, and there are people who have ministries named after them. You know, that's why he says, we proclaim Christ the Lord and not ourselves, but there are other people that like come, Come see Apollos. Come see whatever. The Jacob like, Smith as, Wealth Center. That's right. The the Aaron Zimmerman Evangelistic uh, Society Ministry Crusade. Um, yeah, so there's all these things going around. And Paul is saying, look, it's not my job to convince right. people. I will mm -hmm. preach the message. Come on. But it's God who has to make the light shine in their hearts. And so, you know, that is true in ministry. But that's true in life as well. Everybody is out there trying to hustle and change someone or change something. And, you know, you like Paul, I think we do the work, but but the healthy thing is to say, I do the work and I let I leave the outcome to God. And Bro, that is um, so hard to do. It is hard to do. And you only really and I've well, I don't know for everybody. For me, I've only found that I'm able to learn this lesson through failure and suffering. Um, or, you know, like I had an accident, a car accident back in November and I had to take five weeks off of work and. You know, again, just Twitter. coming back and realizing, yeah, that was all part of my plan to get extended leave time. Yeah, that's right. So much Sudoku. Um, but I, uh, 
uh, no, actually, because I'd had a concussion, I wasn't allowed to do anything like hard thinking. And and you know what? I came back and the church was fine. It's just another reminder yeah. that Amen. it's not all about me. So I think there's something in for any listener and anybody in the pews to hear whatever thing you're banging your head against a wall, trying to change it, trying to change someone's mind, whatever. Um, sometimes, the, I say all the time, the thing is to let God do it. You know, you do the work. But don't get your identity wrapped up in it and kind of let go. And the only way you do that usually is through failure um, and um, maybe some therapy and some good friends and, mm-hmm. and hearing some good preaching from time to time. So, well, let's there take you go. a look. Gosh, let's take a look at this next uh, text. Let's Mark nine two through nine. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his sort of inner circle, up onto this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Carmel. Many people hold, which, by the way, back to Elijah. That's where Elijah slaughtered the prophets of Baal. So there's sort of an mm. ancient callback there. And if you go to Mount Carmel today, you would see a statue on the top of Elijah holding a giant knife uh, just to remind everybody, um, don't be a prophet of Baal or Elijah will get you. So there they are up on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured. His clothes become dazzling white. Again, this kind of connection. You think about the fiery chariots from heaven carrying Elijah up like all this sort of light and fire and burning, blazing imagery throughout this, obviously in Second Corinthians as well. But here we see Jesus is dazzling white and Mark is sort of struggling with how to even describe it. Um, you know, he thinks about the whitest thing he can, some sort of bleached clothing. He said it's, it's even brighter the, than that. The so, point is, is yeah. the point, the powerful point there is that Jesus isn't reflecting Jack. He is right. emanating. The source of light. He's yeah. the source of light here, which is exactly tied into what Paul is talking about in uh, Second Corinthians, and um, yeah, uh, he's the sun, is, not the moon. Yeah, he is. He is emanating these these things. And uh, Elijah and Moses, who are representations of the law and the prophets, are reflecting this, and uh, they are talking with Jesus, and they're just not talking about like what they're doing this next weekend or what's going on in what heaven while Jesus has been on earth. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, they are talking about his. If you read the other Gospels, his departure or his exodus. And uh, specifically how he's going to fulfill the law and the prophets in his death and resurrection. Uh, But um, I love what it says here. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, Peter, James, and John, they all wake up. And it's not like, dang, this is cool. They are terrified. And and so, but Peter, you know, I think probably like, well, maybe we could do something here. You know what I mean? This could be a fine attraction. Let's make charge missions. Yeah. And uh, you know, everybody, this is it. Finally, we found the place where Moses was, you know what I mean? Because, you know, his body was specifically hidden to prevent people from going to worship it. You know, we got Elijah, we got the whole kit and caboodle right here. So let's build three dwelling places. And the problem with this is, is that the implication is, is that Peter wants to put them on equal playing fields. Uh, not the case at all. And uh, this is why the cloud finally descends. And the voice from heaven says, by the way, and this is being echoed throughout all of the Gospels, uh, but this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. This is the same voice that came out of the heavens when Jesus was baptized at the first Sunday of Epiphany, after the Epiphany. And so, but there was no one left because Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. And um, this is, uh, and he orders them not to tell anybody until he's raised from the dead. There, there are a lot of things in here uh, that I think you could preach on, um, but I think one of the key things is the pronoun here that God the Father uses, this divine voice. 
He doesn't say, this is my son, the beloved, and some of his best friends. Listen to them. Mm-hmm. He says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. In a sense, that's a word for Moses, for Elijah, and for the disciples. And it shows that we are all um, called into ministry, and our only job is to listen to Jesus, um, the who reveals the face of God um, in his own face, which is what Paul says in Corinthians. So the, the listen to Jesus is so key because so much preaching uh, almost acts as if God said, this is Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Listen to all of them. And what I mean by that is a lot of sermons sound like law and prophets with a little Jesus tacked on at the end. A lot of sermons, a lot of church teaching sounds like all the things you have to do, um, maybe some really stern warnings about what will happen to you if you don't do them. That's the law and the prophets. And they are good and holy, but they don't accomplish what they demand. The only thing it does is preaching the gospel, which is why God the Father here says, listen to Jesus. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Um, and that is what preaching should do. It should proclaim who Jesus was and what he did. Your, your sermon should should always begin and end with Christ on some level. This is, this is the main thing. This is the amazing thing, that God has become a human being and that God has uh, lived, um, taught, died and and rose again from the dead for for us which is crazy i mean who are we and yet god has done that that's the extent of his love so i think this listen to christ here is so important i think the other thing here i think i always notice is peter's desire to hold on and make permanent that which is temporary uh, jesus's incarnated ministry in some sense is temporary uh, moses and elijah are just shown up for a minute but peter wants to hold on to it and i think when we are in those places where we feel some sort of proximity to god some sort of uh moment of having arrived or whatever, you know, on the literal or proverbial mountaintop, we want to keep it, we want to preserve it and hold on to it. And Jesus, again, because, you know, if you look at, as we said in the second Corinthians passage, you know, when we want to hold on tightly to things like I will change myself, I will change the other person here. Peter's like, I want to hold on to this moment on the mountaintop and not change it. Whereas Paul's able to let go and let his let his ministry be about what God wants to do here. Jesus is able to let go of this mountaintop experience and go back down to what he needs to do and embrace this time of transition and change and go do what he has to do. So I think there's something, if you're rooted and established in love and know that you are the beloved, as God says to Jesus, you, you, you don't feel like you have to stay up at the mountaintop. You can go back into the difficult time as well, which I think is, is so important. So I think for the, for the people in your congregation, um, there, you want to give them the gospel and look at Jesus's own belovedness, having heard he is the beloved, and that frees him to go into the world. And I think for us as well, hearing that we are beloved by Christ, um, it frees us, I think, to, to let go of a lot of things and to, to move forward in peace. And, you know, and I, if you say that to your people, tell them that, remind them that they will probably fall flat on their face before the sun sets on Sunday evening. But, um, We'll be here again next week, preaching the gospel again. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because he is the, the changeless one, in spite of all the changes and chances of his life. To quote the prayer book. So uh, that's what I would say on the uh, the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Um, and again, meundies.com slash lectionary. Just kidding. Uh, by the way, the Brothers Gibb talk show came back on SNL recently. Praise God, Jimmy Fallon and uh, Justin Timberlake. Um portraying the, the brothers give and i feel like jake maybe you and i should reenact that at some point in person we dress up as 
um, Robin and Barry Gibb with some medallions, some hairy chests. What do you think? Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right. We'll take it under consideration. Well, until then, enjoy your last Sunday after the Epiphany, and we'll see you as we begin the season of Lent. Get ready for your, uh, yeah, as we celebrate Queen Quadressima Sunday and all the stuff and get yourself together. All right. Till next time. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.